morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. Um, I think Pam is right. Fall is upon us, whether it says it on the calendar or not. I was reminded last week, um, one of the groups I'm a part of, I don't lead it, I'm just in it, is our uh, motorcycle group. And uh, so my wife and I joined, we were on bike and there were a couple other couples and we rode down to Elbow Lake and, and had dinner at the Knotty Pine uh, Bar and Grill. And then I uh, was fine on the way there. I wore pretty much like this with shorts. I'm a Florida boy, so I wear shorts when I ride the motorcycle. Uh, but on the way back, they warned, you know, they warned me. They were like, it's going to be cold. And it was cold. So, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I want to transition to uh, just reminding you that... Uh, um, this is the last, I mean, our semester starts like today. So if you've not signed up for a group, I uh, strongly encourage you to, uh, to, to look that over and sign up for one. I want to highlight two groups um, that are relatively new. One is Managing Our Finances God's Way. Todd Broyles is teaching that. And that actually will be on Sunday mornings here at the church and will start when Sunday school starts in two weeks. So it's like a perfect class to sign up for if you have kids in Sunday school. You can drop them off and then go to this class. The class runs from 8.30 to 10. It's a seven-week kind of deal. Managing your finances God's way starts two weeks from today. So the second one I want to highlight is... um, a group called Life's Healing Choices, led by Shannon Petrie. Um, really, it's just a small group, kind of small beginnings of what I'm hoping eventually uh, develops into a celebrate recovery for women. Um, and so this is for any woman, you know, who's struggling with anything. Uh, might be addiction issues or anger or codependency or eating disorders, or trauma, or abuse, kind of the language that they use is, do you have hurts, habits, or hang-ups? So check that out. I think that starts this week. So um, it's called Life's Healing Choices, and uh, you can sign up for that on our website, on the app, or using the Grow Guide. So today we begin a journey through one of my favorite books of the Bible, um, and it's the book of Ruth. Um, The story of Ruth was probably written sometime around 1000 B.C. Um, It's set during the time of the Judges, which is one of the darkest periods in the history of Israel. I mean, the last, if you just read the last few chapters of the book of Judges, um, the book that immediately precedes the book of Ruth, um, they contain some of the most disturbing images found anywhere in the Bible. Um, Stories of brutality, stories of rape, dismemberment. Um, All of this illustrates just how low Israel had sunk. Scripture says that it was a time when there was no king and everyone did what they wanted. It's kind of like the phrase uh, of, of judges. It was a downward descent into idolatry and into depravity. I mean, this pattern just kept repeating itself over and over. Like, people would sin, God would hand them over to a foreign enemy, they would cry out for deliverance, God would deliver them, and then the cycle repeats over and over and over. 
So the story of Ruth comes in the middle of all this mess. Um, in the middle of all this violence and evilness, really comes a love story. It takes place in the countryside during the time of harvest. The theme of Ruth isn't so much on sin or judgment. Um, Ruth's focus primarily on love, chesed love to be exact. Um, and I'll unpack that term here in a bit. But the focus in Ruth is on love, um, both human and divine love. If this book were set to a movie, I imagine it'd probably uh, use a filter that would like make everything look warm and golden. Um, the story of Ruth begins in the little town of Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. And in the first few verses of Ruth, something terrible happens. There is a famine in the house of bread. So if there's a famine in the house of bread, we know we're in trouble, right? Because it means people are going to starve. Um, so Naomi's husband, Elimelech, packs up his family, moves them across the border into Moab, along with their two sons. So at first glance, moving to Moab when there is a famine in Bethlehem might seem like, like a wise thing to do. If there's no food in Bethlehem, then why not get out of town? Problem with moving to Moab is that God's the one who brought them into the promised land. This is where God wants them to live. It's their home. Um, furthermore, Moab isn't a good place for God's people to live. Um, the city of Moab origi uh, originated from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. In the past, the people of Moab had really become a stumbling block to the people of, of Israel um, because they led them to worship false idols when they were in the wilderness. It's pretty clear Moab wasn't the neighborhood that God wanted Elimelech and his family to move to. So whatever dreams this family had of starting a new life in Moab turns into a nightmare. Because over the course of 10 years in Moab, Naomi's husband and both of her sons die. Verse 5 is one of the saddest statements you'll ever read in the Bible. It says this, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her, two without her two sons or her husband. So Naomi, Naomi had traveled to Moab with her family so that they could fill their empty bellies. And now she's returning to Bethlehem even emptier than when she left. But she wasn't going to go back to Bethlehem alone. Um, she now had a Moabite daughter-in-law named Ruth. Ruth, the widow of one of her sons. And we see in our scripture today that Ruth insisted on going with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Um, now, even though there would have been a large age gap between them, Naomi and Ruth, I would say, were sisters in sorrow. And two of them share, shared the worst title a woman can have 
in the ancient Near East. They were both childless widows. Without husbands, without children, um, in a culture where women were completely at the mercy of men, um, they would have had no voice. They would have had almost no rights. Um, Their status, their security, all of that would have been gone. In In the ancient Near East, a woman's value was determined primarily by how many sons she could produce for her family. But Naomi's sons had both died. Ruth was of childbearing age, but in 10 years of being married to Naomi's son, she never bore any children. Um, It is possible that Naomi's late son, after 10 years of childless marriage to Ruth, um, maybe he was weighing his options before he he died. Maybe he was even thinking of divorce um, or at least getting a second wife who could give him sons because polygamy was a thing back then. In their own ways, Naomi and Ruth were both barren. Naomi because her sons were dead and Ruth because she hadn't been able to conceive. And when these two childless widows came to Bethlehem, they would have been some of the most vulnerable people in town, childless widows. And on top of being a widow and barren, Ruth was also an immigrant from Moab. So there really would have been only one glimmer of hope waiting for these two widows um, as they headed out to Bethlehem. At least they knew that they wouldn't starve. Because there were laws in ancient Israel to offer um, at least that much protection to like poor widows and immigrants like Naomi and Ruth. Deuteronomy 24.19 says it like this. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. So I want you to keep that verse in the back of your mind as we go through this series because um, this will come up again in the story of Ruth. In fact, without this law, there is no story. So these two women, they set out on the road to Bethlehem, the house of bread, um, so that they won't starve. As far as we know at this point, um, they're going to live out the rest of their days as childless widows, just barely surviving. Um, As far as Ruth and Naomi are concerned, their lives are over. They're done. And then in our scripture this morning, it's interesting, um, we see two examples of the same thing, both of which are extraordinary. Here's the first. Verses 8 and 9 read this. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Now think about it. Um, This is an extraordinary display of love. 
Like, what do you think Naomi's feelings were telling her to do at this point in her life? Most likely, they were telling her that she should keep these two young women with her, like, as close as possible. Right? She needed them. She had no one else. What would she do without these, these women? Like, she'd be totally on her own. And instead, she goes against her feelings... And she encourages her two daughters-in-law to leave so that they can remarry and start a new life. She's determined to love her daughters-in-law no matter what it costs her, even if it makes her life worse. Here's the second example. While Naomi told her daughters-in-law to go back to your mother's homes, And Orpha complied, and she left. Ruth, on the other hand, responded like this. It's in verses 16 and 17. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So rather than turning away from Naomi, Ruth forsakes everything she has, her country, her potential for getting married, having children, being secure again, and commits to remaining with Naomi. In both examples, we begin to see what love really looks like, what the Bible calls chesed love. When we think about Love. Um, we typically uh, we're conditioned by our culture to think of romantic love. Um, there's romantic movies. There's romantic books. There's songs. Um, I don't read romantic novels, but I do like rom-coms. Anyone know what a rom-com is? Yeah, romantic comedy. Some of my favorites. Uh, are When Harry Met Sally, uh, Sleepless in Seattle, Steel Magnolias. One of my favorites is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anybody like that? Father walks around with Windex. He thinks it's a cure-all. I love, I love that. Mamma Mia. I like Mamma Mia because I'm a big fan of ABBA, you know, you know, that Australian group from the 70s. So uh, I remember Jackie and I went to see a rom-com on opening night. It was The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. You know that movie? So it was packed. There was like almost no empty seats. And I looked around and I'm realizing like I'm just about the only dude in the room. (laughs) I was like representing. (laughs) It was a good movie. Um, So most of these romantic movies and books and songs, um, they typically focus on the courtship period, right? Meeting someone, getting to know them, asking them out for the first time. You get butterflies in your stomach. He notices her beautiful hair. She notices his blue eyes. Um, They go out. They find they have certain things in common, and so on. 
Rarely do these movies and books and songs focus on the relationship past that point. Like, usually it's just like, uh, and they lived happily ever after, right? But if you've been married for even a few years, uh, you know that love can be hard, right? Do I get a hand raised on that? <laughs> right. Okay, it can require sacrifice. You know this. Um, faithfulness and commitment to each other, like over the course of decades, um, even when it gets hard, really hard, right? Chesed is not a romantic infatuation kind of love. It is a faithful, reliable love. When a wife prays for her husband for years to come to know God, when parents lovingly and patiently care for their special needs child, sometimes even into adulthood. When an adult child cares for their aging parent. When a husband or wife uh, is caring for their spouse who has a serious medical condition, cancer or Alzheimer's. Those are examples of chesed love. One of my favorite, I guess you can call it a rom-com, romantic comedy, uh, is The Notebook. It's got James Garner and I think Ryan Gosling. And, um, and it's the story of a husband and wife. Uh, and the wife has Alzheimer's disease. And the husband every day comes and tells the story of this couple who met and their love story. And it's their story. And he's just like faithfully coming every day and just telling their story to her. She doesn't remember. But, but every once in a while, there's a glimmer in her eyes of remembrance. And it's this beautiful, beautiful story. Chesed love. Chesed is faithful. It is loyal. It is, it is love put to action. Theologian John Oswalt says... Chesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Um, author Lois Tiverberg says, Chesed intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. Biblical scholar Will Kynes says, Chesed is never merely an abstract feeling of goodwill, but always entails practical action on behalf of another. Chesed is actually the opposite of the love that is glorified in our culture, um, which focuses more on the feeling than the action, which says that we should feel the love first and then act based on the strength of that feeling. Chesed says, no, act on your commitments. The feelings may follow or they may not. There is nothing fair about this kind of love. Um, certainly it is the opposite of transactional love. Quid pro quo, Latin for this for that. This kind of commitment love, this, this sacrificial love lies at the heart of Christianity. Um, it is Jesus' love for us on the cross and it is to be our love for one another. 
Chesed is the love that we find in the perfection of God. Yet when God's children, right, you and I, um, are transformed to begin to bear his image, we begin reflecting this kind of love in our lives, in, to him, and in our relationships with other people. And it's this kind of love, this chesed love that we see in the scripture this morning. When Naomi really releases her daughters-in-law to go live their own lives, even at risk of her own peril, when Ruth gives up everything and she binds herself to Naomi for the rest of her life, in both cases, it is chesed love that is demonstrated. This word chesed is found all throughout the Old Testament. It's one of the key attributes of God. In Exodus 34, we learn this. It says, God is the God of compassion and mercy who's slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, who lavishes, lavishes unfailing love to a thousand generations. That's chesed. Psalm 36 says it over and over again. It's like a repeating refrain. It says it 26 times. His faithful love, his chesed, endures forever. The Lord's love endures forever and is bound up in his covenant with his people. Uh, meaning this, it is a loyal love that doesn't end, it doesn't break um, God has this character of love and loyalty. It isn't something that we deserve, um, but God unites himself to his people. He gifts us grace and mercy and forgiveness and all these things that we don't deserve. Even though we sin. God lavishes his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness on us over and over and over again. God doesn't turn away from his children. Even though we turn away from him, he doesn't turn away from us. He sticks to his promise and he keeps his oath. He continues to love and to redeem his children. When his children break one covenant, he promises a new one. It is not too much to say that the whole narrative of the Bible is a story of God showing his chesed love to his people. Um, he continues over and over to redeem them and bring them back. And he ultimately keeps his promise by sending Jesus Christ, right, to be our substitute. Um, even the basis for God pardoning our sins. Um, Psalm 51 begins by saying this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, and that's chesed right there, blot out the stain of my sins. And then Numbers 14, 19 says, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, and again, that's chesed, please pardon the sins of this people just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Another example of chesed is the covenant between David and Jonathan, um, which even after Jonathan dies, David honors um, when he takes care of his disabled son. Remember that story? 
Um, I would say, though, that the classic and the best example of chesed on display between two people in the Bible is the story of Ruth. Um, Even though the word is only used three times in the book of Ruth, the book is filled with examples of this chesed love. Hence why I called this series, Ruth, a story of chesed love. Um, I pointed out a couple examples of chesed love in the scriptures this morning. Um, We're going to see more as we go through this series. But another theme that I want to explore in this series on Ruth is this. Um, There is a certain lie that comes from the enemy that I think we've listened to for so long that we no longer realize that it's a lie. And it's become our reality. And that lie is this. Um, It's actually, it goes back and forth between two thoughts, kind of like a pendulum. The first thought is this. I am insignificant, unworthy, disqualified. I have nothing to offer. And then the second thought is this. Who am I to think that God might do something amazing through me? And then the pendulum swings back and forth between those two thoughts. These two women, Naomi and Ruth, who might have been seen as burdens by their neighbors, um, God made them into blessings. Their neighbors in Bethlehem had no idea, like no way of knowing that these two women who brought nothing with them from Moab but broken lives and shattered dreams were vessels of God's grace. They had no way of knowing that as God was weaving his grace and his providence and his chesed love through the lives of these two women, blessings for everyone would start sprouting and blossoming all around them. They had no way of knowing that God was already at work in the lives of these two women to give the nation of Israel her greatest king, King David. They had no way of knowing that early in this story, like This early in this this whole story, um, both the story of Ruth and the story of the whole Bible, that God was already at work through these two women preparing to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to rescue and redeem us all. Their neighbors didn't know any of that. And Ruth and Naomi, they certainly didn't know any of that. Because to know that, you would have to know the rest of the story. And the rest of the story hadn't been written yet. Ruth and Naomi were living out their little part of God's story. And all these centuries later, right, we know how the story would work out. But they didn't. They'd have to live through it, not knowing how things would turn out. The Danish preacher and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this. He said, life can only be understood 
backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And the book of Ruth uh, shows us how true this is. Not only as we follow this story to its conclusion, but also, again, as we see the rest of the story in the Bible unfold. God has big plans to redeem, to restore, and to rescue the world, right? And he does that through Jesus Christ, but he does it through you and I, ordinary people, right? And these two widows, Naomi and Ruth, are absolutely essential to God's plans. They had no idea, right? They had no way of knowing that all of God's plans for salvation, for the redemption of mankind, was working its way through them. Through two people who had nothing. Like on the social scale, they were at the bottom. Right? They wouldn't, and here's the thing, they would never know that truth this side of heaven. All they would learn is that God wasn't finished with Naomi and he was just getting started with Ruth. So if you already know the story, you know that in response to these women demonstrating chesed love to one another, God begins to pour out his chesed love on both of them, turning their sorrow into joy, their mourning into dancing. But none of that is present in today's scripture, like at the beginning of the story. The beginning of our story, Ruth and Naomi are beginning as sisters in sorrow. And that's important because at one time or another, um, all of us find that we are experiencing sorrow like them. We've all gone through sorrow. You know, um, there are pits of despair. There are difficult trials in this life. In fact, um, maybe some of you are experiencing the sorrow right now. Um, all of us have gone through, we will go through, or are right now going through seasons of pain and sorrow and trouble. Maybe it's a termination notice or a foreclosure or divorce papers or a miscarriage or a bad medical diagnosis or maybe it's your spouse. Maybe they got the bad medical diagnosis. Maybe they've now gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe you've packed up all the sympathy cards, the flower arrangements have all wilted, the last casserole dish has been washed and returned, and now you're sitting there all alone with your grief, wondering how you will go on. It happens to us all. The bottom falls out, and then the bottom under the bottom falls out. It feels like our world is just crumbling. You feel the weight of loneliness crushing you. It leaves you feeling helpless, hopeless. 
You may even decide that your life is basically over. That you are useless now. And even God himself is done with you. In those times, like Ruth, you may find yourself having to make desperate and drastic decisions. And like Naomi, you may find yourself thinking, um, this is just how it is for me now. This is my new norm, right? You just resign yourself to this dreadful, this diminished new norm for your life. Because you can't see any way around it. You can't see any way through it. You can't see any way out of the circumstances that you're in. You can't see any way out of your sorrow. The story of Naomi and Ruth is our story too. These two women who've lost everything, they truly have lost everything, and they think they have nothing left to offer. God made sure that their story was in the Bible for you. Because he wants you to know that he sees you, just like he saw them. And his heart breaks with yours. Your story is not over. Um, Their story didn't end with loss and sorrow and hopelessness. Um, And thank God your story doesn't have to end there either. So like Naomi and Ruth, um, you don't know what plans God has in store for you or how God is going to lead you there or what he plans to do through you. But over and over and over again, the Bible assures us that God indeed has plans for you. Wonderful plans. Um, To make our lives not just blessed, but to make our lives useful to him and to each other. Plans for this life, and for the life to come. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Just because you can't see a way out of your sorrow, or even imagine one, doesn't mean that God hasn't already made a way. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We may not understand, right, in this life why we had to go through certain things or why people we love suffer and are taken away from us far too soon. But we are promised that God can and does and will bring beauty from ashes, the ashes of our sorrow. No matter what you are going through right now, your story isn't over yet. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, truly, 
You are the God who brings beauty from ashes. We've seen you do it over and over again. Like you did with Ruth and Naomi, you give us hope, you give us a new identity and a new life as you pour out your grace and your mercy and your blessings on us, as you pour out your chesed love on us. Lord, I pray you would empower each of us here today to demonstrate more of that divine love, that faithful, sacrificial love to you and to each other. Lord, your word says that three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. God, it's my prayer in this series that we would learn to love better and more than we ever have before. That we truly would be known by our love for you, for each other, and for those who are far away from you. Pray that in Jesus' name.